0: are listening to the Mission Church podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Mission Church is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. Now we hope you enjoy the message from our Sunday gathering. Hey, what's up Mission Church? My name is Travis and I serve as the pastor of preaching and theology here at Mission. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, feel free to check out the screen below. You can follow along there. Also, if you do not own a Bible, we hope to see you one day in one of our gatherings on Sunday mornings at Somerset Academy Sky Point. As you are leaving, feel free to pick up one of these free Bibles that we put on a table and take that home with you because here at Mission, we lead, preach, meditate upon, and sing the Bible. Now this morning we're going to be jumping back into our teaching series through the book of Acts that we've called Empowered for Jesus' Mission. And if you missed any of the previous messages from this, feel free to check out our website and catch up there. We have both video as well as audio sermons. But why do we call this Empowered for Jesus' Mission? Well, that's actually pretty simple. As we've been going through the book of Acts, we have seen that Jesus has not given up on his church. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He resurrected, he ascended to the right hand of his father. And what is he doing right now? He is ruling and reigning over his church and empowering us here on earth. And this morning, we're gonna see that Jesus is empowering us to care for one another, but he's also empowering us to handle conflict. So I would like to invite you to pray with me, and then we'll jump in. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your grace and your mercy that you give us through your son, Jesus. And I just pray right now, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We just ask, Father, that you work and have your way in us. May we be humble and and just in a posture of just being willing to be taught by you, Father. And Holy Spirit, we just pray that you make the words of our father the words of scripture just applicable into our lives because you see what is unseen and so father we just ask that you work and have your way in us for your glory and our joy we pray all this in jesus name amen now i played college soccer and my college soccer team was absolutely terrible It wasn't terrible because we didn't have talent. We had plenty of talent, but rather my team was terrible because many people on the team decided to play for me instead of we. When we would go out into games, oftentimes the right side of the field was non-existent. It wasn't because nobody was over there. It's because those players, instead of playing on the right side, would oftentimes try to play in the middle or play in forward and they would play on defense. And what did that do? That left a hole on our team, especially on the right side of the field. Our goalie was absolutely terrible and the reason for that is because that was not his natural position. But up at the forward, the forward position, we had a player who was an All-State goalie in high school. It was not uncommon, as I would be out on the field during those games, hearing the opposing team say, hey, take it down the right-hand side, they're absolutely terrible. Or just take a shot on their goalie, he can't catch anything, he's garbage. And that was absolutely true. Yet we went into, the high, or into our conference tournament, and before we started playing our conference tournament games, we all gathered together in a hotel room in our captain's room. And while we were in there, we started to share about the importance of unity and the importance of playing for we instead of me, that each person needed to maintain their role and stay on their posi- stay in their position on the field because it, if we're unified, we had the greatest chance of winning. During that conversation, we watched as that forward, that all-state goalie decided at great sacrifice to his body to leave the forward position and go into the goal. The guys who played on the right hand side of the field committed to staying there. We went into that tournament as the very last seed, yet we played together for probably the first time in the season. We ended up knocking off the number one seed, the number three seed, and the number four seed. In the championship game, we played against our rival, which was the number two seed, and we beat them. Why was that? It's because each person was stepping up and caring for one another by maintaining their role. Now, when we got into the national tournament, we reverted and we ended up getting knocked out in the first round. It was absolutely terrible. Have you ever experienced something like that before? There being a hole or a gap in a team or in a situation because somebody wasn't stepping up. Maybe for you, it wasn't a high school sport, but it was a business endeavor. Maybe it was a family outing. Maybe it was a school project. Others of us have been in a band in which somebody wanted to play the drums, but they were terrible at the drums, but they were better doing sound or just simply wrapping up chords. Now, the church in Acts at this point in, in the book of Acts is absolutely huge. But scholars believe that there are anywhere from fifteen to 20,000 people in this church in Jerusalem. And don't miss that, especially if you're people who don't like big churches. Yet, just like my team in that business or that school project or that band, there was a hole in this church. People weren't stepping up and caring for others. And that resulted in conflict in the church. So how did they handle it? That's a great question. Look with me in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Here's what we read. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Now this church had grown from a, at a considerable rate. Like I just shared with you, there were about 120 people in Acts chapter 1, but by the time we get to Acts chapter 6, there is anywhere from 15 to 20,000 people in the temple courts and meeting in smaller groups, house to house. How did that happen? Through average, everyday, ordinary people sharing the gospel, showing the gospel to other people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this growth is absolutely awesome, but with this growth, there comes problems. And what is the problem? Well there were some people in the church, the Hellenistic Jews, that believed that their widows were being overlooked because of racial and cultural tensions. And what ended up happening? They started backbiting and grumbling against one another. Don't miss how Satan has tried to destroy the church in the book of Acts. We saw in those first four chapters that persecution was from the outside, that Satan's agenda was external, that the religious leaders and the government were persecuting the church but as we get into chapters five and six, we see that Satan changes his strategy. Rather than using external forces, he tries to infiltrate the church and destroy it internally. We saw that in Acts chapter five with Ananias and Sapphira lying and embezzling money. And we see it happening here in Acts chapter six with racial tensions and cultural tensions and complaining. And I believe the greatest threat to the church as a whole, into mission church in particular, is not from the outside but rather i believe our greatest threat is from the inside you see the hellenistic jews believed that the hebraic jews were overlooking their widows and the reason for that is because they were greek they grew up in a greek culture probably spoke greek and latin and they believed their widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food for racial and cultural reasons it was not uncommon for a hellenistic jew towards the end of their life to move back into Jerusalem to spend their remaining days. And in Jerusalem, you had Hellenistic synagogues, but you also had Hebraic synagogues. Yet the moment these two groups came to faith in Jesus, guess what? There was only one church of Jesus. There was not a Hellenistic church. There was not a Hebraic church. And these people normally would not associate with one another or interact with one another. But now that both of them have come to faith in Jesus, guess what? They've been brought into a common faith. They had nothing in common except for Jesus. And the Greek Jews believed that their widows were being overlooked for racial and cultural reasons. And Mission Church, you have to hear me. This has no place in the church. The Apostle Paul is going to say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Acts 17.26 this, From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and boundaries of where they live. Dr. Tony Evans, in his book, Oneness Embrace, is so helpful. Listen to what he says of this verse. Thus sharing a common origin in Adam. Any form of division or oppression predicated on race is illegitimate because we all emanate from the same source mission the bible is absolutely clear that whatever race and gender you are now guess what you will be that in heaven just look at revelation chapter 7 verse 9 and if you don't believe that just look to jesus you see jesus was born in, on this earth embodied as a man jesus lived his life as a man jesus was crucified as a man jesus was buried as a man But jesus also rose again as what as a man we just celebrated that last week and as jesus ascended to his father don't miss this he did so with flesh on embodied as a man and right now let this blow your mind right now jesus is seated at the right hand of the father with skin on he is seated at the right hand of the father as a man empowering his church here on earth. When you and I, in the final state of things, when God comes back and restores his, you know, restores this earth and heaven and earth meet, you and I will not discard our flesh. No, rather what? We are going to be embodied. Neither you or I will discard our flesh, but rather we will be who we were created to be in a perfect state with God. Do you see why Racism and hatred of any race, nationality, or ethnic group is an outrageous and egregious offense to God. And what you have to understand, that as we journey through the book of Acts, if the gospel you and I are preaching and sharing isn't for everybody, then it is for nobody. You see, within the church, there should be different races, cultures, socio-economic statuses, genders, and generations. I'll never forget being part of a house church in which we had this young man who was 18 that would hang out with this older man who was in his mid forties. Each time they would gather together in this house church, they enjoyed each other's company. They enjoyed each other's friendship. They literally had nothing really in common except for Jesus, but they realized that in Jesus they are what their family, their brothers. And within this house church, we had this young woman who was a professed atheist. And eventually, by God's grace, she became a Christian. And you know what she told us was one of the most instrumental things God used to show her the truth of the gospel? Was the fact that this 18-year-old and this 40-year-old would hang out and really enjoy one another as genuine brothers in Christ. You see, the gospel is for every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And that's why in our house churches, we have young people, older people, single people, married people. We have black, white, Hispanic people. We have poor people and wealthy people. And where I saw this actually take place, this unifying gospel take place in the most vivid way, was early in my ministry when I went over to Uganda. I was teaching at a church and at a leadership conference. And within this church, you had people from Kenya. Now, during that time, Kenya was basically in, an, in a civil war with one tribe trying to obliterate another tribe. It was genocide. And I remember sitting in this prayer meeting, and as it was about to begin, this guy from the tribe that was attacking the, another tribe, he was from Kenya, stood up, ran into the middle of the room, fell on his knees and said, my brothers, I'm sorry. Forgive me for what my people are doing. And I watched as another man from the tribe that was being attacked stood up, walked to the middle of that room and embraced that guy who was kneeling down saying, I forgive you, you are my brother. You see, the Hellenists and the Hebraic Jews, they didn't like each other. They were practically enemies. But in Jesus, guess what? They are family. And that's what the gospel does. But mission, there was also a second problem that was going on here. Rather than the Hellenistic Jews taking this issue to the leadership or possibly even sharing it with the Hebraic Jews, what were they doing? They were complaining amongst each other in the various small groups in Jerusalem. And eventually this complaint started to grow and be spread and it got so big that it came to the leaders' attention. And I would say this is probably the biggest threat to the church, especially in the United States. Is that when we complain and we backbite and we don't try to handle our conflicts in a biblical manner several years ago when i was serving at another church i made an offhanded comment that caused a little bit of a problem i was talking to somebody that worked at a starbucks and i can't quite remember but i found out they got a free bag of coffee like every other week or every month for working at starbucks and jokingly i yelled out for a free bag of coffee i'll go work at starbucks now somebody that was around me heard me say that, but rather than talking to me about it, guess what happened? They started to talk to other people about it, and started complaining about how Travis is gonna leave the church to go work at Starbucks. This became such a big issue that even the senior pastor pulled me aside and said, hey, Travis, are you leaving us to go work at Starbucks? And I was like, absolutely not. I was just completely joking. Yet instead of taking it to me, what did they do? They started to complain. They started to spread it around. Now that's kind of funny. But what is happening here is not funny at all and there is nothing that grieves me as a pastor and there is nothing i believe that grieves the holy spirit more than infighting amongst believers in jesus it was absolutely right for the hellenistic jews to be upset by the fact that their widows were being overlooked this was a legitimate situation and it should have bothered them yet the way they handled that situation was not right Rather than complaining, they should have taken it to the leaders or at least taken it to the other Hebraic Jews and to explain their situation. You see, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 this. He says, do everything without, without what? Grumbling or arguing, that is complaining. How many of us would love for our children to memorize this verse? How many of us should memorize this verse? But don't miss this. How much disunity and division would have been avoided. And if the hebraic or if the hellenistic Jews instead of complaining did what? Brought this to the leaders or just simply brought it up to the other hebraic Jews and talked through it. How much division and disunity would have been avoided, and how much division and disunity would be avoided amongst our church and amongst our churches if we would handle this in the same situation. You see, I would argue this all day long, friends that more churches have died and closed their doors because of gossip, complaining and infighting from the inside than persecution from the outside. And I will never forget the phone call I got of a church that I was a part of deciding to close its doors. And I found out that the reason it decided to close its doors because there was a person in the church that didn't get the leadership positions that they wanted, that they didn't get their say, and instead of just talking to the leaders about it, ended up sowing discord and division amongst others, and during a large group meeting, ended up blasting that leadership, and as a result, the church ended up splitting and dying. I read another story this past week of no lie, not even making this up, of a church dividing, splitting from one another because a certain person didn't get the same amount of food or got less food at a church potluck than somebody else in the church. It's obvious there was a hole in this church, And there was a large group of people who were being overlooked. Yet complaining and backbiting and infighting is not the way it should be handled. It basically, it comes to the attention of the leaders and how do they respond? Do they get defensive? Do they discard it and push it away? Absolutely not. Listen to what happens in verses 2 through 5. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters select from among you seven men of good reputation full of the spirit and wisdom whom we can appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word this proposal please the whole company now don't misunderstand what the 12 the apostles are saying To wait on tables is to serve food. And it's not like this isn't important to them. I would argue for the first five chapters, what have these guys been doing? Preaching and teaching the word. But we also, I believe, they were waiting on tables and distributing food. But now there was a hole and there was a gap. People were being overlooked. Why is that? The ministry had gotten too big for them. I mean, don't forget, this church has grown from what? 120 people to 15 to 20,000 people. There is no way the twelve could handle this by themselves. They can't do everything. We know from Acts chapter 5, verse 42, what were they doing each and every day? They were preaching and teaching in the homes, in the temple, and in the synagogues. And it's not like as people go and you know serve widows and serve orphans that these guys are just gonna kick back and sip on frappuccinos and mai ties. That's not what's going on. Rather, they recognize that they are to prioritize the most effective way. They can serve the church. And how is that? Through prayer and through preaching and teaching the word and training up leaders. It wasn't that these guys were graduating from serving. Rather, they were focusing on the most effective way they could serve. The thing that they alone could do. And what is that? Preach the word. Teach the word. And while they do that, guess what? We see they also make up a plan to care for those widows and here at mission we do the same our pastors pray our pastors preach our pastors lead and while they are preaching and teaching and praying what is everybody else to do they are to jump up and to serve and both of these friends don't miss this are essential to the growth and to the health of the church think back to that soccer team i played center midfield right does that mean i could not play on the right side absolutely not My coach believed that the way I could be most effective on that team is if I played in the center and other guys played on the right-hand side. And just because I played in the center, does that mean that the other positions are not important? That's not what I'm saying at all. We We could not have won that tournament if my roommate John wasn't at forward, if Charlie wasn't on the left, if Brian and Nate weren't on defense, and if Fudge wasn't in the goal. You see, I could not have won without these guys. And the same is true in the church. There is no way I can stand up and preach and teach in the adult gathering and at the same time be in the kids gathering. And it is not possible for John to lead us in prayer and in praise through singing and at the same time serve on the greeting ministry. Now, does that mean we don't care about mission kids? Does that mean that greeting is beneath us? Absolutely not. I was a children's pastor and a youth pastor for 10 years. I love preaching. I love teaching in the kids' ministry, and I'm an extrovert. I would love to be on our greeting ministry, but that is just not possible. I cannot do every role in the church, and that's why people need to step up. You see, serving the Hellenistic widows wasn't beneath the disciples, nor was it unimportant. It is likely it wasn't even a cultural or racial issue. It's just simply that the ministry got too big for them to handle it by themselves. And so what happened? They ended up coming with a plan. They looked at the disciples of Jesus. They called them together and they said, Choose seven men from amongst yourself. Seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. What does that mean? It says that they were to choose seven men who are full of the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit in their lives that we see in Galatians chapter 5. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, and all of that. But also what we see is that they are to be full of wisdom. That they weren't just to be men who knew their Bibles and had big heads of Bible knowledge, but rather they knew how to apply the Bible. They knew how to live it out through their everyday ordinary life and see how the scriptures make sense of that and how it's to be applied. And at Mission, we need more men to step up in our churches. Don't misunderstand me. We have so many women who are serving in our churches and we could not do this without them we thank those women for all that they do but friends we need more men to step up and fellas you have to hear me i love you i pray for you and i'm not saying this to beat you up but to build you up we need more men in our church full of the spirit and full of wisdom serving at mission you see in our culture we don't think much of men. And I believe Satan wants to destroy the church by targeting the men. Again, Dr. Tony Evans is so helpful. He says this, that in the Bible, whenever Satan wanted to destroy a nation, he went after the male children. While the children of Israel lived in Egypt, eventually one of the Pharaohs did what? He ordered a death sentence on all male babies born in the land. And in the time of Jesus, King Herod, Ordered that all male children under two years of age be killed in Bethlehem's in an effort to what? To stifle the prophecy of a king born to the Jews. Listen to what he says. Satan understands that if he can immobilize the men, he can hijack the culture. And think about how men are portrayed in our culture. Who are some of the most predominant male figures in our movies and on television? When I was growing up, it was people like Homer Simpson, Al Bundy, Ray Romano, Dan Connor. Each of these men were portrayed as what? Dim-witted and disengaged. And we need more spirit-filled men, wise men, serving in our ministries, serving in the greeting ministry. And friends, please hear me. We need more men serving in mission kids and in mission youth. I told you, I was a children's pastor and a youth pastor for 10 years. And while serving in the church and serving in that position, I did not have a single man come up to me and ask me if there was a woman who could help with their children. But I can't tell you how many times. I mean, I don't have enough fingers to tell you how many times that a single mother would come up to me and ask me if there was a man who could help their child, take them to a game, help them with the struggle they were going through. Dr. Evans says that 40% of children go to bed each and every night without a father in their home and you need to hear me. If you want to make an eternal impact, a kingdom impact, men of Mission Church, step up, fulfill this role, engage in serving. Yes, we need you on our setup and tear down teams, but we also need you in our kids ministry. We need you in our greeting ministry. We need you in our house churches. So many men that I've talked to and I said, hey, I need you to serve in Mission Kids. They'll come up to me and they'll say, I can't do that, Travis. I don't know enough. Yet if I ask them the starting lineup of their favorite sports team, they can tell me who they are and they can tell me their stats. So many men today are excellent at, at their jobs. They're excellent on the sports field. They're like tier 100 on Fortnite, if you know what that is. But they're weak in the home and they're weak in the church. And why is that? It's just simply misplaced priorities I would love to disciple three men three men and make and help them to become leaders within mission and I heard somebody once say that men are like trucks what do they do they drive smoother and straighter with a load fellas you have to hear me God designed you for this he did not design you to be passive disengaged and on the bench He wants you in the game. He wants you in his church. He wants you stepping up. Why? For his glory. But I do believe, absolutely believe, for your joy as well. When my child was younger, my son was younger, and I'd put him to bed, I would pray this over him. God, make him a man who is tough and tender with thick skin and a soft heart. Make him tough so he can handle life. Make him tender so he can love people. God, make him a man. Make him a man who is tough and tender. Why is that? Because that is Jesus. That's Jesus. So the people choose. And who do they choose? That's a great question. Look what it says in verses 5 through 7. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. Those are some hard names, okay? But listen to what they are. They're full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And then notice what they did. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. They chose seven men and we're gonna hear more about them in the coming weeks. Yet these seven men, they were Greek speaking and the apostles did what? They laid hands on them and they commissioned them to this task because it was important. Like I told you, this task wasn't beneath them. It was so important that they identified seven men full of faith, good reputation, full of the spirit, and they commissioned them before the church saying that what? We validate these men for this task. And what was the result? That the word of God spread and the church increased in number. And it tells us that even a large group of priests, what? Became followers of Jesus. The priests didn't love Jesus. They hated Jesus. They were enemies of Jesus. But when the outcome of this took place and that the church cared for one another and they handled conflict, guess what? God used that to make the gospel vivid to them. And we see that a large group, a large amount of priests became obedient and became followers of Jesus. You see, there were holes in the church in Acts. And there are holes within Mission Church And I believe God is calling you and me and men and women to what? To step up and to fulfill those holes. Why? So that people will come to know Jesus. I spent so many years of my life playing for trophies. Just the other day, I was cleaning out my garage, and I found a trophy of 1997 when I was on the all-state soccer team, like basically all-state team for for Kentucky, for Louisville, Kentucky. Let me ask you something. Who's talking about that? Only me. Why? Because it's not eternal. So many of us, we, we, we are unified and we, we fill holes on, on school projects that are forgotten about next semester. We engage in business endeavors that are forgotten about. We join in bands that break up. Yet you have to hear me. The church of Jesus Christ is eternal. Why is that? It's because the church is people. It says that God added to their number. And each time you see that word number, in the book of Acts, it represents a person, a name, a soul that has come to know Christ. So let us seek not to complain and to divide over any issue, but let us strive to selflessly serve one another, to care for one another, and to handle conflict in a biblical manner. Let's strive for unity in Jesus and let us be a church that selflessly and joyfully serves one another for God's glory and for our joy. And so that what? People will come to know Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your grace and your mercy that you give us through your son, Jesus. And I pray right now, Father, for each and every person listening to this, especially to the guys, Do not let them sit in guilt. But God, I pray that you give them a Holy Spirit conviction. And I pray that you help them understand that if they experience that conviction, it's because you love them and you've sent your spirit to strengthen them and to grow them and to grow them up. And so God, I pray for mission that we will be a church that is faithful to handle conflict the way you've called us to. And I pray that we are a church that will not divide over any issue, but we will stay unified in Christ. God, let us be that church here in Las Vegas for your glory, for our joy, but so that the numbers, the people in this city will come to know you. God, do all of this. Do all of this for your glory. We pray also in your name. Amen.